0: For more information, visit OutdoorEdge.com. You're listening to The Western Rookie, a hunting podcast full of tips, tricks, and strategies from seasoned Western hunters. There are plenty of opportunities out there. We just need to learn how to take on the challenges. Hunting is completely different up there. I've some 26 big game animals. You can fool their eyes, but you can't fool their nose. 300 yards back to the road turned into three miles back the other way. It's always cool seeing new hunters go and harvest an animal. I don't know what to expect. If there's anybody I want in the woods with me, it'll be you. Heyo! welcome back to another episode of the Western Rookie Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Krebs. And we're going to change it up a little bit today. I'm going to do a solo episode uh, where I wanted to just talk through gear, everyone's favorite topic. And now that it is July, uh, hunting season is going to be here before we know it. So I just wanted to give all of you just a shorter podcast today. Um, I will walk through the gear that I've been using, unbiased, I'm not saying it's the best, I'm not saying it's the worst, it's just what I use and I'll, I'll share the reasons why I've picked what I've picked, what I had before, what I like, what I don't like and if there's any questions, any feedback, feel free to comment below for anyone that's planning maybe their first trip out west and they're just curious of what do I need to go on an elk hunt, uh, maybe we'll use like a September elk hunt, archery elk hunt as an example uh, for this podcast. And before we do that, I want to give you guys all an update. So we have closed on the farm. I'm sure you guys have heard us talking on the podcast lately. My wife and I just closed on a 40-acre farm. Great house, shop. There's a couple horse stables. I don't think we're going to get horses. And I'd say probably 36 acres of hunting land. So we are very, very excited About that Uh, we got painting done We will be moving this week And then hopefully we can get some of the inside projects wrapped up So I can start planting some food plots And getting ready for this fall of deer hunting So I'm very very excited about that I will do my best to make some video content About the farm and the progress And that will go up on the Two Bucks podcast channel Over on YouTube and some of the social medias and so if you're interested in that kind of content as well, feel free to go check that out. But today, let's talk gear. Let's talk gear for an archery elk hunt, because that's what I primarily do. That's the number one topic people ask us about is elk hunting and archery specifically. And we, I have an archery elk hunt coming up this fall, actually. So we'll walk through from head to toe the gear that I use And Actually, we'll go in reverse order. We'll go from toe to head and all of the the equipment alongside that. So, Starting off the list, boots and socks. The reason why I wanted to start out on the bottom is because I think it's one of the most important pieces of gear that will make or break your elk hunt or your western hunt is boots and socks, footwear, because the first thing that usually fails is your footwear, and when you start getting sore feet, blisters, it's it's one of those things that just makes you, it makes kind of all the wheels fall off the bus. All of a sudden your feet hurt, now you are not in a good mood, you're starting to get down, you're getting a little bit more critical of why you're not seeing animals, you start thinking about home, you quit going as far. It, just a whole bunch of things usually snowball as soon as the feet go, and I've been there. Uh, When we started out going out west, I was just using the boots that I had. I've always had pretty rugged feet. Uh, My feet usually don't mind any type of shoe or boot that I put on, and so I would get hand-me-down boots. My dad or my brother would buy boots, usually my dad, and decide he didn't like them and then give them to me since we had the same size feet, and that was the boot I had. So the first couple years of elk hunting, I was using... Some Danner Elk Hunters as my primary boot. They're a leather, full leather boot. I would say maybe mid-calf, 6 to 8 inches high. And they had the Air Bob sole, which is a sole, if you're not familiar with it, it's a sole that has, like, pillars coming down. Very deep tread, pillar-like tread. Not like a road tire tread where you have, like, a track. It was very... Um, very isolated pieces of tread that would really bite in and really help you get good grip. And so they were a great boot. Hunted with them for a while. And then my backup pair was a pair of Danner TFX. Those are the Coyote Tan military-style boot. Very lightweight. Uh, very, very economical pricing. I mean, they they were cheap. I will say it. They were a cheap boot for for hunting, elk hunting especially. When you think of elk hunting boots, they were not expensive. But, and that being said, they felt good at first, but man, real fast, they started to fall apart. Um, my feet started to hurt in them when I'd wear them. The stitching would break. I'd get blisters in spots. I've never had blisters before. And so that's what really woke me up to those were not the right boot for out west because I usually don't get blisters. So if you know I'm getting blisters one day in, I was pinning it on the boots. And so I did that for a couple of years. I would wear the Danner Elk Hunters every day in a row until they got wet, and then I'd switch for a day and uh, let those boots dry out and put up with the TFXs. And then I, as soon as they were ready, as soon as they were dry, I'd switch right back to those out because they fit so much better. And it is a good idea. It's always a good idea to bring two boots out west because chances are one of them will get wet, whether it's sweat, rain, maybe just they have different wear spots and hot spots. And so it's not a bad idea to have two good pairs of boots that you fit really well in and that don't give you problems so you can switch back and forth no matter what happens if you just want change them up a day get some you know give some of the hot spots a break and and have a different feel that's that's why you bring two pairs of boots or god forbid it rains you get wet fall in a river well that happened to me a couple years ago in montana fell through a sinkhole and almost went waist deep a waist deep almost went chest deep In one of those high alpine bogs And so that boot got soaked Had to put on a backup pair of boot that day And so I always bring two pairs of boots And that leads me to the current boot My backup, the TFX's Finally fell apart about a week Before a back to back Elk hunt in 2019 I was going to go to North Dakota for a week Or I was going to go to North Dakota For as long as it took to fill that tag And if I got it done in time I was going to go to Montana for a nine day after that And I was down to one pair of boots for this, what could have been 22 days of elk hunting and turned into 19 days of elk hunting. And so I went to Shields and I was thinking I was going to buy another pair of the Danner elk hunters because that's what I had and that was what I was using. And while I was there, I started looking at that Kenetrek set and I knew Kenetreks were good boots, nothing bad about them. A lot of people use them. A lot of people love them. I tried them on. Sure enough, they felt really good. And the salesman convinced me to buy them, but, man, did that hurt. I mean, the Kenetrex are, I think, 430 to 485 depending on, on which set you wear. So it isn't an investment. And the reason I bring up the Kenetrex is because I bought those. I did not break them in. I went straight out west, and I hunted in those boots for 19 days, I think I took a 3 day break in the between the two hunts But 19 days of elk hunting in one month Without breaking those boots in, I wore them every single day I did not sweat them out, I did not get wet I did not have to break out my backup pair of boots I got zero blisters And so when you start to think about it When was the last time you wore a boot without breaking it in out west And didn't get any blisters And so... The reason I say that is, is I'm not affiliated with Kennetrek. I don't get any money from Kennetrek. But they are by far my favorite boot I have ever worn. I will buy them again. I will buy the exact same pair. And I will have no, continue to have no issues, I assume. I've worn those Kennetrek boots on almost every single day of western hunting since then. Very few times have I got them so wet that I needed to take a break. I do not wear them pheasant hunting because I don't want to wear them out excessively and I don't wear them food plotting but I wear them shed hunting in the spring busting through ice and snow in the early season up north all the way down to I wore them in New Mexico this last this last uh, shed season with our good friend Stephen Walker and Dan Matthews and it was 70 80 degrees didn't have any issues with my feet getting warm didn't have any issues with blisters great soles great grip great ankle support Really I mean they are a stiff boot Especially when they're new And I love them I just can't say enough good Things about them and so that's why that's what I use Now I almost Never wear my backup pair of boots when I'm out west Unless I absolutely have to because that's how Good the Kenetrex fit Now I've heard great things about Schnee's or Schnee's however you pronounce it Out there in Montana my brother Uses those he's got multiple pairs he has The exact same Review of the Schnee's I say Schnee's I think some people say Schnee's it's the it's really a similar boot. It's a it's a full leather boot with a rubber, uh, coating around the bottom. They're kind of the same price range. They're an upper, upper end boot, um, and they're they are super high quality. So I don't think you could go wrong with Schnee's either. And I've heard some good things about Crispy. I think Crispy boots are right in the right in the running. Those are the top three. And the point I'm making is, if you really want to invest in one piece of gear. That's going to make an immediate impact on your elk hunting this fall. I believe boots, if you don't already have a, an amazing pair of boots, that's where I would start. That's that's really where I think the money is best spent is in the boots. Now, right along with boots is socks. you got to have a plan for your socks. And everyone's different. I'm not going to tell you. You have to do what I do. But I like wearing just a liner, especially in the early season. Now I know a lot of people wear the liner with a sock, and then they just switch out the liners and keep one pair of sock for the trip, or maybe two pairs of socks, but more liners, and they just, you know, they sweat through the liner and then they don't sweat through the sock. I've never had to do that. My feet really don't sweat a lot, so I just wear the liners because it gives my foot more room. Um, they're lightweight. They don't. They don't make my feet warm. And so I'll just wear the 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 shields. Sock liners. What I've been wearing the last six eight years of, of hunting is just that. I don't wear any fancy smart wool socks. I do, I wear them late season, you know, mule deer hunting in the in the West. But that's about it. I don't really, I don't really wear a big heavy sock when I'm out there. Even later, even when it's cold. I mean, typically when you're out hunting you're moving. Now, if you were gonna do a lot of glassing, like late October November, you might want to. F- well, you might want to come up with a different plan, but early season, September, I just wear a liner. Even if it's cold, 40, 30, 40 degrees, you're walking, your feet never get cold. The same thing goes for shed season. I mean, when I'm shed hunting in North Dakota in February, a lot of times this last spring, it was five below. And I just wore my Trek boots with a normal liner. And just because you stay moving, your feet don't get cold. So that's the plan there. The What I really want to encourage is just test it out, though. Don't... Don't buy a pair of Canatrex and then not break them in like I did. The only reason I did that is because I didn't have a choice. My my elk hunt was in five days, and so I didn't really have a time to break them in. But break them in. Buy the socks you think you want to use. Buy one pair. Whatever your system is, buy a pair. If you want to use a liner and a normal wool sock, buy a pair of each and make sure they work. And if they do work, you hit some hills around your home. Then go buy what you need for your hunt. But test it out. Make sure you have a plan that works for you. And make sure you have a blister management plan. I really like these little blue squares. You can look them up on Amazon. They're little gel pads. And you they're probably half inch by half inch. If you get a hot spot or you get a blister starting, you break one of those suckers out. You put it around your hot spot. And then you put some athletic tape around that. Make sure you roll the edges of your athletic tape over if you're in like a joint or a crease. So that the tape doesn't cut into your skin. But that little gel pad takes all of the friction away. So you can't really see what I'm doing right now because this is a podcast and not a video, but I'm rubbing my fans together like if your hands are cold, right? That's what happens when you get a blister is your skin's rubbing on your sock or your boot. When you put that gel pad in between, it it takes up that, that, that friction, that movement, that sliding. And so nothing is sliding against your blister anymore because that gel has some movement in it and it will usually fix your blisters in a day or two if you can keep that in the right spot. Sometimes it, the tape wears off or it it moves on you as you're hunting, but it's better than nothing. So have a plan. Have a plan for your footwear, and that's where I think the, the best bang for your buck is. Now, let's move up. Pants. I wear Sitka. You don't have to wear Sitka. I really do enjoy Sitka, though, um, but what I do think is important is as a pant that breathes, and has the four-way stretch in it because you're constantly stepping over logs, going through downfall, uh, you, trying to trying to take a stride, climb a mountain. And that four-way flexibility, especially in the crotch and the seams, really allows you to have that movement, that range of movement and flexibility that you need. And it, it, when you're wearing a pant that just fits and moves well and is made for what you're doing, what I've noticed is I almost like don't even notice it compared to if you were wearing a big heavy set of like denim jeans or Carhartts. I know the first comment on this podcast is going to be, "I've hunted. You know, my grandpa used to elk hunt every year in Carhartts." Yeah, it's possible you can do it, but it's a lot more comfortable without those because every step you take, you're not fighting against that heavy, tough fabric. Especially like stepping over logs or climbing uphill, you're not you're not binding at every step, and so I just encourage you. Go find a pair of pants that you really like that are super comfortable because you're already going to be miserable on your elk hunt, whether you're too hot, you're too cold, you're tired, you're sweaty, you haven't slept enough, you, you're packing out an elk and you're sore. Whatever it is, you're going to be uncomfortable. So don't don't go into it being uncomfortable because you're wearing a pair of pants that you don't like. Go find a pair that fits you well, that moves and breathes, especially in September. You don't need a lot of insulation. You just need to really protect your legs from the brush, from from cactuses or or brushing up on on scrub oak. You know, that's what you the pants are really for in concealment, a little bit of concealment. But if it wasn't for the brush, I mean you could get away with gym shorts. And some people do hunt in shorts. So get a pair of pants that you like. Like I said, I really like Sica I've got five or six pairs of them, and I am ha- so happy with them that I probably will stay with Sitka. And I, like I said, I don't get any money from Kennetrek. I don't get any money from Sitka. Maybe that'll change one day, and you'll be the first to know. But but right now, it's just my favorite, the favorite product, and, and that goes right along with the tops. Um, I wear Sitka tops. I like, when I'm archery hunting, especially, you know, south of... Uh, Southern Rockies, you know, Colorado this year, we're going to Southern Colorado. Um, even when we're in Southern Wyoming, it's usually warm. And so I'm usually wearing the lightweight tee, the lightweight hoodie. It comes with a face mask, which I really also like when you start getting into the herd and there's elk around and you're getting close. I pull that face mask up, helps conceal a little bit of the white around your face. And and it's really lightweight, really breathable. And so that's my favorite if it does get chilly, you know, most mornings it is pretty chilly no matter where you are. And so sometimes I'm wearing that heavyweight hoodie, that the long sleeve heavyweight hoodie. So that's more of a, I wouldn't call it a sweatshirt by any means, but it's kind of getting to that, I'd say, extra light sweatshirt stage where... You know, if you're back home and you got like a crisp morning or a crisp evening, you might want something about that weight, but not full blown hoodie. You know, and that's uh, that's a really nice that's a really nice weight for for early mornings, cooler days, a little breeze, um, keeps you comfortable all day long. So i I usually have both of those in my pack because they're so light um, on a warm hunt. Now, if it's cooler, if it's really windy. If the weather's kind of you know looks like it could rain, maybe not rain, I generally always have my jet stream. The jet stream is like the hoodie level. Um, it's windproof. it's got a little bit of insulation, not a lot. It's really a jacket that unless it's really hot and sunny, if it's like cloudy or 60 degrees and cooler, you can wear it all day long and not get too warm even when you're hiking and walking. It's got some pit but, uh pit zips. Uh you can open it up, breathe it out a little bit. But I wear that jacket, that Jetstream jacket. I think I've worn it I would say 80 to 90% of my hunts since I bought it. And so, I mean, days. You know, I didn't wear it in New Mexico cuz New Mexico shed hunting was pretty warm. But I wear it from -5 up in North Dakota all the way to probably 60, 65 degrees. On a on a hunt, and so that's been ninety percent of the days I've hunted with it. I've I've legitimately worn it hundreds of times. I wear it bow hunting back home, white tails. I wear it rifle season, white tails. Uh, every every rifle season for sure out west. It, the temperatures that jacket, it's one of the most versatile tops and jackets I've ever worn. And so that would be a close second, honestly, with the wind protection because it's always windy in the west. And it's just the perfect amount of insulation. If you wear it over that like heavyweight, that heavyweight hoodie shirt, between that shirt and the jacket, now you've got a you know now you got a, a decent like a full on hoodie level insulation, um, plus the wind protection and a little rain. It's rain resistant. I, I mean, I wouldn't want it in a downpour, but if it's gonna mist or sprinkle, it keeps you dry. Now. Along with that I usually have a Kelvin top. Now the Kelvin light is like a puffy um PrimaLoft um synthetic puffy jacket. It's not super puffy. And so I usually have that cuz that's like ounces, single digit ounces. It's so light. And if you combine any of those three like the Kelvin light hoodie with the Jetstream, you know, now you have a pretty insulated windproof jacket and that's what I wear, you know rifle hunting in montana when it's 20 30 degrees and cold and windy i wear that and i stay pretty warm especially with like a with that heavyweight hoodie and so that's kind of my top system is i i pick pieces that are light and each one's kind of got its own role i got the wind i got the windbreaker i got the insulation layer i got the the base layer i combine all these things and i can get like five or six different jackets depending on how i layer it if it's just cold But I know it's going to warm up soon, maybe it's early, there's no wind. I'll just put the puffy jacket on. The puffy jacket right over my base layer as we're glassing, that keeps me warm. As soon as we start hiking, I just take it off and put it in my pack. And now I've got my base layer that's going to breathe and keep me from sweating out. Um, Say it's kind of real cold and windy, I put all three of them on. Now I have insulation, an insulative base layer, a puffy mid-layer, and the wind-breaking outer layer. And that can handle a little bit of rain, too. And so that's my strategy with the tops. Um, The one thing that I haven't really finalized in my kit is rain gear. That's probably my next investment is some lightweight rain gear because that's, like I said, another lightweight layer that's got a roll that I can fit in with any of my other tops. And so now I'm not carrying a bunch of big heavy jackets in my pack. If it's hot but it's going to rain, I'll just put that rain jacket right over my base layer. If it's kind of cool and it's going to rain, I'll put the rain jacket over my Jetstream or over my Kelvin Light, and so that's how I can kind of mix and match what I need, and that'll handle the that system that I just explained. That's what I wore uh, shed hunting in North Dakota when it's five ten below, and I'm at legitimately five or ten below. You can you can go to my Instagram and see the picture of the of the uh, the frost build up on my beard. I mean, it is. Cold and that's what I wore And as long as I'm moving I'm staying plenty warm If I'm in a glass Late season and it's cold That's probably where I would need something else That's probably where you gotta get Something warmer That bigger jacket you're gonna have to put up with the weight Um, But that's you know What I have will probably Work as long as you're staying moving As cold as you're gonna realistically Be hunting in the lower 48 Um, So that's That's the that's the the clothing we just went through boots and socks pants tops oh one thing i haven't touched and we're going to talk about it even though it's kind of weird underwear underwear is a big point don't overthink your underwear if you're the guy that wears cotton boxers at home you're going to need to come up with something else for elk hunting because that's what i started with and that did not last so the cotton you sweat it out it binds it it it's just no good. Trust me on that one. If you haven't tried it before, I encourage you to come up with a different plan. I went from that to the, you know, the high-tech Merino wool boxer briefs. And I just didn't like them. I know a lot of people do, and and you might find those are your favorite. I, for whatever reason, I didn't like them. I felt like they were too hot. They maintained a little bit too much moisture. I mean, they are moisture-wicking. But they also hold on to a little bit of that moisture. And I just, I did it for a year, maybe two, and I just, ah, you know, it's something where I knew it wasn't right because throughout the day or throughout the hike, I was thinking about how uncomfortable it was. And if I'm thinking about a piece of clothing and how uncomfortable it is, that's telling me it's not the right piece of clothing. You know, I go back to the boots. I go back to the pants. I never think about them because they're so comfortable. I don't, my mind doesn't go there. There's no issues. There's nothing that grabs my attention. I'm free to focus on the elk hunt And so, with those merino wool boxers, there's just, I don't know, something wasn't sitting right. And so, I kind of went back to the drawing board and I said, you know, I need something that's flexible, you know, stretchy, expandable, whatever. You know, I want to be active. I'm going to climb over stuff. I don't want anything to bind or give me wedgies. So, we're probably in a brief. Um, the merino wool was too hot, collected too much moisture, didn't like that, and so what I landed on was, well, hey, I work out, I do all kinds of crazy stuff in the gym, and my compression shorts are always where they need to be. I mean, it's as simple as that. They're where they need to be, they're doing their job. They never bind or constrict me. They never keep me from doing a movement, and they don't hold a lot of moisture. I mean, like they, they they it's they, I mean, obviously, if you're going to be sweaty, they're going to be damp, but they're not, like, holding on to a lot of moisture. And so that's what I started wearing. I started wearing Under Armour compression shorts. Um, I've got a couple pairs that have the fly in the front so you can, you know, go to the bathroom a little easier, but most of them don't. I just un- buckle the belt and, you know, take care of business. And I've been really enjoying that. So don't overthink something just as simple as Under Armour compression shorts. Just because it's not camo or doesn't come from a hunting or a traditional hunting company doesn't mean it can't work for you. And so that's just what I wanted to say because I think that's one thing that could be easily overlooked is don't forget about your underwear. Uh, And so that covers it. That truly does cover it. Uh, For hats, I bounce around. Uh, you know, I'm bald now. If you if you follow me on Instagram, you can probably tell. And so if I wear a mesh back hat, I'll get some pretty wicked tan lines based on the seams of my hat. And so sometimes I'll wear like a Mountain Ops flex fit. I think this year I'm going to try to find like the Sika bucket hat just to keep my movement profile consistent as I turn my head and maybe help a little bit with the sun since we are going to be like, as I said, in Southern Colorado, uh, we might not have quite as much black timber coverage you know if you're in the black timber you're not gonna get sunburned but if you're out in them if you're out in the open september southern colorado i think you you could probably get sunburned and i just don't like being sunburned like i said earlier you're already going to be uncomfortable in the outcome anyway don't go into it with a plan to be uncomfortable by uh by having sunburn and so that with that now we get into the fun stuff Pack and accessories. So, the pack, if the boots are the best bang for your buck, I would say the next best bang, next best value in my mind could easily be a tie between a good pack and, um, as honestly as crazy as it sounds, that Jetstream jacket. I mean, if you could only give me two items. If I could pick two of my own items and then somebody had to pack the rest of my bag, I'd for sure, number one pick is going to be my Kennetrek boots. I'm making sure those get in. After that, I don't know if I'd rather have my Jetstream jacket or my pack, but it's one of those two, and then the rest of it I'll put up with whatever they pack with me. Um, But the pack is important. When I first started elk hunting, I used what I had, which was a Christmas present. And it was a great pack. It was the Cabela's Bowen Rifle Pack. It's got a big bag. It's it's basically a big school bag backpack um, that's camel. And it has a bunch of pockets. But it didn't have a waist belt, I don't think. Maybe it, maybe it did. I can't remember. But it did not have a frame. It was just the sack. No internal frame. Um, no stays. No external frame. Nothing like that. I mean, you could pack basically pack as much weight as you could fit in a sack and carry on your shoulder but it's not going to be comfortable and i did that for one or two years and decided you know what it's time to to invest in a different pack and at the time my brother had the team elk the the uh eberly stock team elk pack and i just liked how how structured it was it has a it has a it's called an internal aluminum frame, but it really kind of is more of like that external frame with a bag on top of it. And so it's got, got an a aluminum frame, bottom shelf with a bag. It's got the belt. It's got the load lifters. It's a really nice pack, honestly. It's got a top lid. Everything about the pack was pretty good, and I liked it for a long, long time. I still have it, actually. Um, it had a rifle scabbard, in the, in the stays, so kind of like right next to your back, your rifle could go in a scabbard, so the stock of your rifle is right behind your head and the barrel is, you know, pointed straight down. So it's always in a safe direction. It completely covers your optic, which is great for safety or, you know, protecting that, that glass, and nothing's getting in the trigger guard. So it's a very safe way to carry a rifle. One downside is you can't just sit on a log because the because the rifle sticks out below the bottom of your pack, so you got to kind of take your pack off to take a break and sit on a lock. But it's still, overall, great rifle pack. Uh, I got to the point where I could take it out pretty fast. I mean, I'm not going to, like, jump an elk and get a shot at it, but if I have 15, 20 seconds, I could slide it out of there and get set up. Um, And so I really liked that pack. Like I said, I still have it. Um, My father-in-law is probably going to take that on his moose hunt this fall. Um, and so it's a great pack overall. One of the things I, I didn't know if I liked was it's a big open compartment pack. Um, it's got one big area. There's not a lot of stuff, that not a lot of little areas you can tuck small pieces of gear. So I found myself digging in the bottom a lot, and I didn't really come up with a good way to fix that. It's got a couple of pouches, like, uh, you know, I would say, like, sleeves. Like, think the seat back couch on your truck um so whatever that's called they had some of those and so that was nice i could put like a pocket knife or a roll of electrical tape or a lighter and if i knew that's what i wanted i could get that but other stuff kind of just ended up at the bottom and so take it or leave it a lot of packs are like that i mean it, you most packs are like that and so i don't know really what triggered me to want to get a new pack but after using that you know i used that pack for three or four years i packed out four or five elk with it amongst the team Um, most of them were partners that shot and it 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 hauled weight really well because it had that aluminum frame Um, my dad packed out part of my North Dakota bowl with it and uh, he liked it so it's it is really a, a nice pack but for whatever reason I decided I wanted a mystery ranch Metcalf. Uh, I've heard a lot of good things about them. If you watch Randy Newberg, you know his crew loves Mystery Ranch, and the Metcalf was one of their favorites. And so I tested it out. I went and tried it. I loved it. I wanted something that was more one-pack-fits-all. And what I mean by that is the Eberly stock doesn't have a great way to haul meat if you have a full pack. And it's because it's got the frame. It can haul the weight, but the bag is is between the frame, right? So you got when you think of a pack frame, you have the the support going up the back, or the stays as they're called, and then you got the bottom shelf. It kind of makes an L, and you put your meat on the L as close to your back as you can to to have good center of gravity and balance. Well, the team elk pack has that L is filled in with the pouch or the bag, and so when it comes time to shoot an elk. We like to take out as much as we can on the first trip out because it's a free trip. you got to come out anyway. And so what we'll typically do is, is carry as much as we can, whether it's a quarter, whether it's the trim meat, the back straps, whatever. We want to carry something out on the first trip. Then we go. we used to go back, get help, get traditional pack frames with no bag, and then do all the heavy lifting. And what I wanted was a pack that could pretty much do it all. I didn't want to have to take out everything from my Eberly stock that's in my pouch, like my jackets and all my stuff, and then put a bag of a meat bag in the pouch to get it close to my back, but now I have to strap my jackets to the outside or stuff them in with this bloody meat bag, and then it's hard to clean the inside of your pack. And so I didn't really like that. And so I know you can do like a garbage bag. A lot of people will put in a garbage bag in their pack, and when they shoot something, they'll put the meat in a game bag because you always need the game bag, for aeration you want airflow that's what keeps your meat from spoiling is airflow that's why game pigs aren't waterproof but when you put it in your pack you can put it inside of a garbage bag just to keep the blood from soaking into your into your pack that way you don't have to clean your pack sorry excuse me when you get home and then once you get back to camp you take the garbage bag out you let the meat dry and air out it creates a little rind around the outside of the meat and that obviously will get trimmed out but that's what keeps the meat on the inside from spoiling Moisture is the enemy there. So you just want to get the moisture out. You want to let it dry. Well, that's the problem. So you either take the everything in your pack out, put your shoulder in or your quarter in, and then either strap the stuff to the outside or you strap the quarter to the outside and just tighten it down as much as you can. But now it's hanging out farther away from your back. You know, it's another layer away, which is going to cause more torque, And that torque is going to go right into your lower back. It's going to pull on your shoulders. It's going to pull you up. So now you're going to have to bend over forward to balance. And that's when you get the the soreness and the fatigue in your back. And so I was like, well, I just want one size fits all. And the other thing, it doesn't work great for shed hunting. Because that bottom bar, that bottom of the L kind of always sticks out and it's in the way for strapping antlers to the back of it. And so I decided the Mystery Ranch, I wanted to try that, and I loved it. With the Mystery Ranch, just some of the differences. Um, One difference, it does not have that rifle scabbard. So that's also where I put my water bladder when I was doing an archery hunt, is in the rifle scabbard. So I lost my water bladder spot. I lost the way to carry a rifle. And so that was kind of a, a bummer. I really liked that rifle scabbard. But the Mystery Ranch fit my back better it had better stays it's a lighter it's a significantly lighter but the main feature that i bought the pack for was the mystery ranch the way the pack is designed is it has a frame and it has a bag and the bag is attached to the frame with buckles and straps but when you shoot an elk you can unclip some of the buckles loosen them up the bag bounces back off, so, you know, we're looking at we're looking at a person standing upright, you know, from the side. If he's facing the left, the pack's facing the right. When you shoot an elk and it comes time to carry a quarter out, you can unhook the bag and, and pop it out. So now the pack or the bag moves out to the right. The frame stays on your back, so that stays where it was. But now you have this gap in between the bag and your pack frame. And that's where you can put your meat in. The quarter fits perfectly in there. You got a, there's a saddle or a, 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 they call it a load shelf, but it's really a fabric saddle, and it that's the bottom. And then there's straps along the bottom, and maybe every six inches up the top, so your meat's not going to fall out. And then you cinch that bag back into your back, and that's what keeps the meat as close to possible as to, as close as possible to your back. And it is a beautiful way to carry meat. I absolutely love it. It's by far my favorite feature. It, that is the reason I bought the pack. When it came time to test it out, it worked flawlessly. I mean, it is my favorite thing about the pack. Continuing on though, it's got a it's got a top lid, and the top lid has two pouches that are really good size pouches. They're probably six to eight inches wide and a foot. Deep or depends on which way you look at it Six to eight inches tall and a foot wide um, And so It's two of them that's the lid is two of those Pouches and so it works Great I put all my food In one of them I can fit A couple sandwiches a bag of trail mix a couple Bars of snacks I can fit All of that in one of them and then the other one I usually Put since I'm trying to be a You know since I'm trying to be a content Creator I try to put cameras Batteries cables chargers in the other one, sometimes I'll put gloves if I just want to take them off quick and put them in a pouch so I don't lose them or or a stocking hat if I wear a stocking hat under my ball cap in the morning when it's cold and then I'll put my ball cap on. I just put that second one as kind of electronics and miscellaneous gear. And it works great because that's the stuff like when we stop, I eat, I eat a little bit. Every time we stop, I grab something and get some calories in. And so it's easy because I don't have to take my pack apart to do it. The pouch... Um, the big pouch is is an open pouch again, and it doesn't have those seat back uh, slots like the Everly stock is. So that part I kind of went backwards on. I got a really good lid. I got a really good meat carrying system, but now I'm back to this big open pouch. Um, the nice thing is it does open from the side, so I can unzip from top to bottom right down the side. So if something is in the bottom of it, I can unzip that and grab it right out and then zip it back up. I don't have to pull everything out the top. Cause I'm usually putting like my puffy jacket or my jet stream right in the top. Cause some days the weather changes and I'm in and out grabbing that puffy six, eight times between grabbing it and putting it back. And so I keep that on the top. So things like kill kit, emergency kit, um, toilet paper, wet wipes, extra bottles of water. Um, all that stuff sinks to the bottom because it's, it's pack. It's small and it's heavy. So it goes to the bottom. One thing that I did do is I went on Amazon and I found some some uh, pouches. You know, different size pouches. I the ones I got were all blue drawstring bags, if you will. And so different size things I can put all in a pouch. So for example, all five of my game bags, I reuse my game bags because they're that higher quality. Um, I think they're the Alaskan game bags brand. I just wash them when I get home. You put you put them in a load by yourself, put some OxyClean in it or some bleach. They're white. Um, and they come out perfectly clean every time. You can reuse those. You can reuse your game bags. Well, once you reuse them, you lose the Ziploc. You lose the vacuum seal bag that came in. So now they're bigger. So I roll them up tight, and I can put all five of them in one drawstring pouch. And so now I know those are all my game bags. Same thing with my kill kit. That's another pouch. My emergency kit's a pouch. My TP and, and uh, wet wipes is a pouch. And so now, at least I can know which pouch I'm going for just by the feel of it. If it's really full and soft, that's my game bags. If it's halfway full and soft, that's probably my TP and my, my wet wipes. If it's real small and hard, that's my knife, my knife sharpener, all that stuff. If it's... Uh, really random stuff that's my emergency kit i can just feel it i don't even have to see it i can feel which pack it is just dip my hand in grab what i need pull it all out use what i need put it back in the bag and put it back in the pack so that's how i overcame the whole pouch thing Um, as far as accessories on the pack there's two things that i did to modify this pack to make it a little bit better the first and the favorite accessory is the kafaru gun bearer you can get a universal kafaru gun bearer that will fit a mystery ranch pack. The kafaru gun bearer, the original is made for the kafaru pack, but they made another one that fits on a mystery ranch. And the gun bearer is awesome. It's amazing, especially for rifle hunting. Will not rifle hunt again without it out west. It has a a, a stock pouch or a, they, I don't know what you would call it. Um, kind of like a holster in a way it's it's like a pocketed it's like a pocketed saddle for that's the exact same size as your rifle stock and so you put the butt of your rifle in that that saddle pouch on the bottom that attaches to your hip belt and then up on your shoulder strap you put a it's a buckled strap so you put it through and you fold the buckle over and you know the buckle has this breakover point where it locks in and you put that around the barrel and so now your rifle is going underneath your arm I use my right arm It goes underneath your arm Your scope is always kind of protected right at your side Kind of underneath your arm And the, right, the barrel is always right up in front of you You know maybe 6 inches to the right of your eye That's So you can always see where your barrel is And your barrel is always pointed the same direction as you So if you're looking at someone And you bend over You can see the barrel as it goes And you can go oh boy there's a person there Can't bend over Gotta turn around or do something The reason I put it on my right is because you undo the top strap that holds the barrel in, and since that holds the barrel upright, the bottom saddle pouch keeps the gun up, you know, from falling down. So between the two of them, it keeps in place. So I undo that strap with my right hand. The gun kind of falls forward. I grab the forearm of the gun with my left hand, and I pull it out, and I can shoulder it pretty darn fast. The cool thing is it also works for your bow. You can get your lower cam in that buttstock carrier. And then you can put the strap around your riser and your bow will sit there and carry underneath your arm. I did find out you have to be a little bit careful um with that strap if it rubs on your cables. It can kind of prematurely wear on your cables. So just make sure you don't do that, but it's kind of cool way to carry your bow so that way you're not carrying it around by the string. I Don't necessarily think it hurts the bow. Some people say it does, but it also digs into your fingers. Or your arm's just not getting sore carrying it around. Because let's be honest, you carry your bow around for eight days, and, you know, one time a year, your arm's going to get sore. Now, if you're bow hunting every day, you probably get used to it. But for most of us, we're not out there bow hunting every day. And so that's the pack and my favorite accessory. I also put a, what, it would be like a camera lens bag on the left side of the hip kind of way back tucked in kind of by my like kidneys. And I just like that I can put bottled water in there, I can put a camera lens, I can put batteries, I can just reach back and grab it. It's because the the Mystery Ranch hip belt doesn't have any pouches on it. And so I just kind of always like having a pouch on your hip pocket. It's got Molly webbing everywhere so you can customize the heck out of it. Um but that's the pack and the, the accessories that I love and that I use. Um so that brings us to the fun stuff the tools, the tools of the trade. Optics, tripods, bows and arrows, broadheads. So let's start out with optics. I always hunt with a vinyl harness. I always hunt with a vinyl harness. My vinyl harness, I wear it scouting. Like if I'm just going to drive around and scout whitetails, I put my vinyl harness on because that's where I keep my binos, pull them up, park the truck, look, nope, that's a doe, put them back in. I've worn the Alaska Guide Creations bino harness every day out in the field for seven years, and it has nowhere near worn out. I mean, this thing will last easily another seven. It is phenomenal. It has, as I look down on it, main compartment binos. I run 1042s. I think you could fit 1050s in it. 1250s, you might have to get the bigger size. On the left side, it's got a zip pouch. I put, if I'm rifle hunting, I put a couple spare bullets there. That way I know where they are. I don't have to dig in my pack. Um, I have some elk calls in there. I might have face paint in there. On the right side, I put more elk calls. I have a lot of elk calls. Diaphragm calls. I put them both sides. In the top, I put my wind indicator. In the top, it's got an elastic sleeve. I put my wind indicator in one of the, there's two of them stacked. The bottom one, I'll put wind indicator because I'm always using wind indicator out out there. I'm always testing the wind. In the top one, I'll slip whatever diaphragm call I'm using at the moment. If I want to take it out, drink some water, eat something, I'll take it out and I'll slip it in that top elastic sleeve. On the front, it has a rangefinder pouch. It has a drawstring in there, so you can tighten up the top lid. The top lid is a hook and loop. Not not velcro hook and loop like one hook one loop it's an elastic uh, loop with a metal hook you just pull it down super easy the it's not a zipper so it's it's a lot easier to run with one hand the pouch it tightens inside the rangefinder pouch so my rangefinder's in there it's all right there it's compact everything I need to kill an elk is right there on my bino harness. I can check the wind. I can call him. I can find it with my binos. I can range find it. Everything I need to kill an elk is always on my bino harness. If something happens, I never drop my pack. I don't recommend dropping your pack because you never know how long it's going to take, where you're going to end up. You could lose your pack. You could have to backtrack a mile. Literally, you could have to backtrack a mile by the time your encounter ends. To find your pack so i never drop my pack but let's just say i'm eating lunch my pack's over there i'm over here also there's an elk i grab my bow i have everything i need on my binal harness my vinyl harness never comes off if we're in bear country my pepper spray is on one of the vinyl harness straps it's always there the and also the back side of the vinyl harness in between the harness and your body there's a zipper pouch I put all of my tags for whatever hunt I'm on in a ziplock in that in that pouch. So I literally have everything I possibly need to kill an elk. Oh, and I also keep a little bit lighter in the bottom of my vinyl harness just in case I need to start a fire. Um, I don't know why I do it. Probably a creature comfort at this point thinking I'm going to be lone survivor and need to start a fire without my pack. But um, I just keep a lighter there. And that's where I know what's in my vinyl harness. I know I have everything I need. And, and I love it. As far as the optics themselves, I'm kind of in between Leopold and Vortex at this point. The Leopold, I have Leopold 1042s. They were a, a gift um, when I was young and growing up as uh, my first set of binos, and I've used them ever since. And they're good glass. I mean, there's nothing wrong with them. I think they're BX2s, or I don't know. I shouldn't say. They're just good overall binos. I am thinking about. Switching to 1250s though I do find quite often I'm trying to look through vinyls And like pick out a shed Or or really scout And glass with my vinyls And I just really would like a little bit extra light And a little bit extra power So that's why I'm thinking about getting 1250s For my next set um, And as far as my rangefinder That's the Vortex 1800 Ranger um, I'm super impressed with that little sucker So I bought it for the North Dakota elk hunt Because I needed a good range finder. And my old one just wasn't working past 200 yards. Very finicky. So I went and bought the Ranger. Um, the Vortex Ranger. Lifetime warranty on electronics. When was the last time you saw an electronics company. Give you a lifetime warranty. But Vortex does. And so I was like alright. Is this thing really that good. I took it out. I remember I bought it at the East Grand Forks Cabela's. Because I was living in Fargo at the time. And that was the closest Cabela's and I had a couple of Cabela's gift cards. I bought it. I walked out of the parking lot. I looked down the Red River as far as I could, and I saw a big lone tree as far away as possible. It's the farthest thing I could see. The farthest tree. I didn't want to try it out on a building because buildings are they're better to to range find. I wanted a tree, so I hit the button. Thirteen hundred and thirty nine yards. Right away, bang! It got me a range. And I have never had a problem since. Uh, I looked it up at Onyx. That tree was 1,340, 1,350 yards away. So, I mean, you're talking 1% to 2% off. And who knows if Onyx is right at that point. I mean, it was phenomenal. And so that's the range finder I use. I've had really good success with it. Um, My spotter, I have an angled 20 by 60 power, or 20 to 60 by 80 Leopold. Um, I used to have the straight, and that broke on an elk hunt, right down the middle. Actually, you know, long hamburger style. It uh, I I hand sewed a case for it, and I was elk hunting, or I was actually uh, mule deer hunting in Wyoming for the family, the annual family antelope and mule deer hunt, and I noticed it's kind of wiggly. Took the Velcro case apart that I sewed up by myself and found it was cracked right down the middle, hamburger style. And so I called the guys and they said, We can replace it. It's guaranteed for life, but we can't replace it before you go to Colorado on your elk hunt, on your rifle elk hunt in three days. And so I tightened it up and I electrical taped the heck out of it. And I went on that hunt and I shot a six by seven bull. I glassed it with the spotter. I used the spotter every day, got home, replaced it. They didn't make that model anymore, so I ended up with an angled. So I've had both. I've had the straight. I've had the angled. At first, I thought I wanted straight. I was upset that I couldn't get a straight in replacement. But now that I've gotten used to the angled, I will never go back. The reason for it is because with that angled, I can adjust it. I can bend it left. I can bend it right. So when I'm, for example, scouting whitetails in my pickup, I can bend it left and turn it and I can almost look like 135 degrees behind the truck you know quartering away from the truck or I can flip it the other way and turn it forward and now I'm looking like quartering in front of the truck. Um, If I am at equal elevation I just turn it sideways. And I don't have to look down. I don't have to look up. Like everyone says, well, if you're, you know, the angles are great if you're always looking down. Or if you're always looking up, they're great because now you look straight, the angle points up. But if you're always looking down, then they don't work. Well, I just turn it to the side. And now I'm looking. Instead of looking down to look down, I look right to look down or look left to look down, depending on which eye you use. And so it's super flexible. I will never go back. Will never go back to a straight spotter. Um, or at least I don't see myself going back. With that, um, on the spotter, I do have an all-in adapter. It's a magnetic phone digiscoping adapter. So the case that it comes with, you just pop it right on. Super simple. It's got a it's got a plate on the back side by the cameras that's got four lining magnets in it. There's an eyepiece that stays always on your on your spotter. That's got the other magnets. Um, you just put them close to each other and they go pop. And they snap together, perfect alignment every single time. Best digiscoping adapter I've ever seen on the market. The eyepiece comes with the eyepiece cover that magnet's on, so it protects your eyepiece glass. Super, super cool. And we had Nathan Goodworth, the founder of the company, on my other podcast, the Two Bucks Podcast. And this is right now the only company that I am affiliated with. If you are interested in this uh, phone scope, well, it's not a phone scope. I misspoke in this digi scoping adapter, go check them out. Honestly, it is very cool. You know, I, this isn't my full-time job. I have my own job. I don't need anyone to buy one. Um, I do get a little kickback, but you can also get 10% off by using the code two bucks, one word, T W O B U C K S. That's the other podcast. Two bucks gets you 10% off on an all-in digiscoping system. Right now they have like a lot of optics. Swaro, Vortex, I think they got some Leopold. Uh, I thought they were coming out with some other ones. So go check them out. Look at their videos. You will see what I'm talking about. These things are great. Almost every content creator in the West is using them. Randy Newberg's using them. The Hush guys are using them. Corey Jacobson's using it. Uh, Shed Crazy's using it. Uh, They are everywhere. It's that good. If you've ever tried to record anything through a spotting scope, holding your phone up to it doesn't work. You bounce around. You can't get stable. Other adapters, you have to tighten them on so much, and there's so much torque, you always bump your optic off of what you're trying to record. Now you got to find it again. Or the zoom and the focus is messed up. With this one, you just pop, tap them. They're aligned. Super cool. So that's my one plug for the whole podcast. Out of all the gear I use, that's the only plug. Now, uh, tripod, I use, well, wait, we got one more optic left, rifle scopes. I went with the Vortex Viper, the Gen 2 PST long range. Uh, it's 5x25 power and a 50mm optic or objective lens. Love it. It's got windage. It's got elevation. Love that scope. And so that's what I mean. I'm halfway in between. I got a spotter and binos from Leopold. I got the rangefinder and the rifle scope from Vortex. They're both great companies, good things to say about either one. If it came to me and I had to pick one, I think I would go Vortex because it brings a better value at the same, you know, you can get more bang for your buck with Vortex. The pricing is more attractive. They got the same features. I just love them. Warrantied for life, best warranty in the industry by far, Um. Especially on their electronics, their electronics are warranted for life. Um, great company, and I, that's just that's the that's the way I'm feeling right now. Is I, I, the next all of the next optics will be Vortex um, tripod. I have a Vortex. It's a small, compact. I can't quite stand up in glass. Um, but it's good size for backpacking. Just go find a tripod. There's all kinds of light tripods out there. There's expensive carbon fiber ones. There's inexpensive heavy ones. Figure out what your budget is and how much you want to spend on a tripod, and that's what quality you'll get. It's there's really it's pretty cut and dry there. Um, Bo, I'm using a Matthews Halon. It's getting kind of old now. It's getting close to eight years old, nine years old, I think. Um, I got white camel. I will not get white camo next time. It shows. I thought it would be cool. I thought it would look cool. Um, I used to bow hunt a lot late season. Now I bow hunt a lot early season and the elk, and it sticks out. I I won't buy another white camo bow. It does look cool, but I won't buy another one. I've had people pick me out from miles away on a mountain because I had my bow on my pack, and it was shining in the sun, and it was glowing, and that was the only thing they could see. And so elk eyes are probably a little better than ours. Um, I just, I don't think it's aiding me in killing an elk. I think you could, I've had elk close by. I've been at full draw on some elk. You know, it's, I don't think it's ever busted me, but I don't think it's helping either. So I will probably go something else next time. Um, but as far as the Halon, I love it. 70 pound draw, 30 inches, Um it shoots really good. I do like Matthews. I'm not a bow snob. Um, I might actually switch to Hoyt next, so take my take my review for what it's worth. But I did have a PSE Baby G-Force before, which was way harder to shoot. It had a 6-inch brace height, um, which my Matthews does too, but my Matthews is a parallel cam bow, so it's a little bit easier to shoot. Uh, the, the PSE Baby G-Force was an old bow. It wasn't very fast. It was It was difficult to shoot, temperamental, hard to keep good groups. I had to have everything dialed in. The Matthews is just way easier to shoot. And I think all new bows will. I'm sure the new PSE bows are easier to shoot. But where I wanted to end today, and I wanted to get into probably the most controversial topic right now when it comes to deer hunting, elk hunting, archery hunting, arrow and broadhead setup. Now, we'll have people on the podcast that say both. They'll say it either way. Right now... I am shooting a heavier arrow. It's not a super heavy, but it's heavier. It's 575 grains. I have 175 grain broadheads. The reason for that is I personally believe there is significant evidence and testing to show that heavy arrows penetrate more than light arrows. Now, there's trade-offs. Le- heavier arrows drop faster, um, they take longer to fly, all of that. I understand. But for elk, elk generally do not jump the string. Whitetail's horrendous problem with jumping the string. But for elk, they generally do not jump the string. I have a single pin. I have a three-pin slider. So it, unless it's under 40 yards, I'm range-finding and dialing anyway, and I know that takes a little bit of time. I know that could cost me an elk. Someday but that's where I'm at That's what I want to do And so if I'm going to dial to the exact yard Anyway The the drop in the arrow doesn't quite Affect me as much at least I don't feel like That's as important But what to me is absolutely Critical is arrow placement And getting two holes Because elk run a long ways Very fast They are hard to kill And if you don't get a good blood trail, it could be finding a needle in a haystack even if it's a lethal hit and that elk is dead. If he can run a 1,000 yards, that's a lot of places to look out in the mountains, especially in black timber if you can't watch him tip over. And so everything about my arrow and broadhead setup is set up for elk. And I will just take it on the chin when it comes to hunting whitetails because I don't want to shoot two arrows. I don't want to have two setups. So everything is about killing elk. Shot placement. Accuracy, those are the same topic, and penetration. That is it. And so I believe there's significant evidence that shows heavy arrows penetrate more than light arrows. And I think there's significant evidence that say fixed blade broadheads penetrate more than expandable blade broadheads. Now here's the difference. I think there's there's evidence that says expandable blades are more accurate. And I believe it. I think expandable blades are more accurate. But they're not as rugged. They break. Sometimes they don't operate correctly. Um, And if you hit a bone with an expandable, a big bone, like a leg bone, you're for sure done. There is no recovering from that with an expandable. Now, I don't necessarily know if you can recover from it with a fixed blade. I think there's better chances, especially with these single-bevel cut-on-contact you know Ed Ashby style fixed blades. That's what I have. I think you can potentially get away with certain bone hits and still have lethal penetration and kill your elk. Um, so that's what I'm running. I have a I have a a fixed blade single bevel grizzly stick 175. Uh, it's razor sharp. I can shave I look at it and hair falls off my hand. That's how sharp it is. And um, when it comes to shot placement and accuracy, I train with them a lot, and I know what my groups are. I know I can hold, I can hold about one inch per ten yards with those broadheads. So that means forty yards, I am shooting a four inch group. Sixty yards, I am shooting a six inch group. Now, I've had some pretty good advice when it comes to shooting targets versus animals. It's double it, double your target. Group size because when you're tired, when your heart's pumping, when there's an elk at 40 yards, you're not going to be shooting your best arrows. At least me. I mean, there's people out there that maybe they are shooting their best arrows, but there's more room for error. And so you're probably going to shoot a little bit bigger group. So if I can hold a four inch group at 40 yards on a target, I'm planning for an eight inch group at 40 yards on an elk. And an eight inch group at 40 yards on an elk is about the size of their heart. So, I can shoot, you know, when my bow is shooting good, I've been shooting all summer long, I'm pretty confident taking a 60-yard shot in an elk, which could potentially be a 12-inch group, but the 12-inch group on an elk, you mean, their lungs are like 16, 18-inch circle, so the kill zone on an elk is pretty dang large. And so that's why I don't feel like I need to make concessions or trade-offs to increase my accuracy at the cost of penetration. And that's it. That's why I made the decision. I think I have plenty of accuracy. I'm not going to, I don't feel great shooting past 60 yards anyway, even if I had a tighter group, just because things happen. That elk could take a step. It's going to take almost a second for that arrow to fly 60 yards. And a lot could happen in that second. Even if I have a perfect arrow, that elk could be gone. Case in point, last time we were in Montana archery elk hunting, well, two times ago, my brother had a nice five by five or six by six bull at 40 yards. And just as he was squeezing off, the process was in motion. And just as the arrow goes off, the elk takes off and runs, and he shoots an empty ghost where the elk used to be. You know, completely missed. So that elk was gone. And it was only a 40 yard shot. And so things happen. I just don't want to be shooting 80, 90 yards anyway. And so I have the accuracy I need, and then I can afford some some more penetration. And that's that's really it. That's what that's what I have. Um, I've never shot an expandable blade for elk. Um, I heard an old, I heard an old saying that if your elk hunt hinges on a broadhead, don't shoot a broadhead that hinges, and that's what I live by. Everyone in our group's the same way. No one in our group has ever shot expandable blades, um, and we have only lost—I don't know—one elk, I believe, that we drew blood on. That's all I can think of. So we are. Nine and one, ten and one on archery elk, um, recoveries versus lost elk with that system. And the one we lost uh, was accidentally a shoulder hit. Um, There was some brush in the way. The guy made a decision to try to uh, miss the brush. And by doing so, he got a little too close to the shoulder. So it happens. No one likes to see it. Um, And we did the best we could. We looked for that elk for a day and a half and then saw Saw that it was pretty evident he was still alive. His tracks hooked up with a herd, and he started look like a rutting behavior. And so that's it. That's the broadhead setup, and that wraps up the entire archery elk hunting gear dump. Uh, I know that was a lot to throw at you in one podcast. I hope it brought value, um, whether you're looking for some gear to round off your your prepping and planning season this summer or you're completely new and you're just looking for where to start. That's my experience with stuff. I hope I was pretty objective. Um, There's a lot of stuff out there that can kill elk and you don't have to be wearing Sitka and using Vortex or shooting Matthews. Um, Find what works for you. I do think that your boots and your pack are probably the two best bangs for your buck um, because those are the things your feet and your lower back, if those two things go, you're going to be extra miserable, and you're already going to be uncomfortable on an elk hunt. So don't go into it with a plan to be uncomfortable by wearing old crappy boots or some pack that doesn't carry weight or doesn't fit you right. Um, so make sure, if, you, if nothing else, those two pieces of equipment. Almost every bow made in the last 30 years will kill an elk no matter how tall you are no matter what your draw length is if you're shooting above 40 50 pounds and you can put an arrow in a heart you know and you keep your shots to reasonable distances you know every bow can get the job done almost every pair of binoculars can spot an elk um, especially in the archery you know scenario usually a lot of people in our group don't even bring optics anymore you know, so you don't have to waste money on that. You know, there's all kinds of camo out there at all different price points. So you don't necessarily have to wear Sikki either. But the boots and the pack, if those things aren't working for you, you're going to be uncomfortable. So uh, that's just my advice. Feel free to comment below if you liked this episode. If you want more, I don't know what we should call these, you know, deep dives. You know, this could be a gear deep dive. Maybe we'll do a application season deep dive, a uh, point you know a point game deep dive whatever you guys like I mean this podcast is for you and it's for you guys to become better elk hunters whether I can teach you something probably not or the guests that we bring on can teach you something Um, that's what it's all about is helping helping the western well the western rookies become the western experts um, and so drop a comment, send an email, brian at com, or, you know, comment on social media. wherever you Wherever you listen to this podcast, feel free to let us know what you think of this episode, this format. We're not going to do them all the time. We're going to still stick to having guests. But if you liked this format and you want to hear more deep dives, let us know. Thanks for listening and have a successful summer getting ready for elk season. Talk to you next week.